We're speaking to you on the grace of God. And my text today is Romans 5.17. Last Sunday we talked about the uh, grace that sets us free. And uh, today I want to speak to you on the, the grace that makes us new. And so this is found in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, where he says that in verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, Through that one man, much more will those who receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life or reign in his life or by means of his life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes uh, Paul is a little difficult to follow, at least for me anyway. So I'm going to try to unravel, unpack some of this for you. He's been talking about the impact of Adam's sin. You'll notice it starts up there in chapter 5, verse 12, when he says, uh, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. He's talking about Adam. Sin came into the world, death came into the world. All of this was through uh, the one man, Adam. And the impact was universal. I mean, where can one go in the world and not see the impact of sin and death? Is there anywhere that you know of where somebody would say, if you go to that island or that nation, people don't die there? It's everywhere, isn't it? That's the impact of sin and death that came from, as he says, one man, one act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden impacting so many people all over the world. So that's where he begins, and he says that this one man, this one act of obedience or disobedience brought sin and death to all. And then look at verse... 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. There's a contrast here. It's still one man, and it's, and it's one act, but it's the act at the cross, one act of obedience by the one man, Christ. And he says the free gift is not like the trespass. If one If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So you have to look at the the way he's setting this up. He's talking about how Adam's sin just had an absolute universal, even though it's gradual, it gradually gets to everyone that is in Adam or a descendant of Adam, and that's everybody. So he says in the same way, but in contrast, there's a new Adam and a new effect that, is, that goes to everybody who is in union with him, that is, that is of the offspring of Jesus Christ, that is 
part of Jesus Christ, part of his body. We call that the church. And the impact is much greater. He, and that's why he uses the phrase, much more has the grace of God and free gift abounded for many. Verse 17 again. If because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned. Does death reign? Death reigned, he says. That's, it pushes its way around. It throws its weight around. I was noticing some of these uh, uh, famous men who wrote books on how to on living long lives, like uh, Robert Kowalski. He wrote a famous book called The Eight Week Cholesterol Cure. He died of an aneurysm at 65. Or uh, Pavo Arola, How to Get Well, was the name of his book. He, uh, he was back in the 70s and 80s and ret- uh, getting everybody to drink juices again. This was back when the juice diet came in. He died of a stroke at the age of 64. And have you heard of the Adkins diet, Dr. Adkins diet revolution? This was a pretty big one. Uh, He fell on the ice, slipped on the ice in New York City and died at age 72. The impact of death is just inevitable and powerful and overwhelming and irresistible. Death reigned. That's the way he puts it in in chapter 5, verse 17. It reigns. It bosses us around. It doesn't ask for permission. It doesn't say, can you fit me on your schedule, right? I'd like to come at a certain time. No, it just tells us when it's coming. So death reigned through the one man. But now notice, much more... Will those who receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life or by his life? That's the idea there. It's not like uh, location, but it's instrument. In his life we reign Um, through the one man, Jesus Christ. When we become a part of Christ... That is, when we receive Him into our heart, when we become Christians, we are baptized into His body, Romans 6 says. We are joined to Him. It makes us part of Him, and therefore, being part of Him, we have His Spirit and His life. And Acts 2.24 says, God raised Him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. When we are joined to Christ and we receive Him, it... Being his body means we get raised up along with him, both spiritually now and ultimately physically. So let me give you three characteristics of the grace of God that are outlined for us here. Uh, And the first one is this. It is a gift. It is free. Notice how he puts it in verse 17. If because of one man's trespass death reign through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in his life. Those are synonyms. They receive, they, they receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Grace and gift are synonyms. The grace of life and the, and the gift of righteousness, those are all the same time. They're all part of the same package. 
And it's not something that we worked for. It's not something that we earned. It is something that he gave us. It comes to us. Let me give you this uh, little verse in the 19th chapter of Luke. It says in Luke that there was a a very corrupt, uh, sinful man named Zacchaeus. And uh, he heard that Jesus was going to be walking by, and it was kind of a, you know, not a village where a lot happened. And so he climbed a tree to be able to see this famous person. Now, he's not seeking Jesus. He doesn't call on Jesus. He doesn't uh, try to touch the hem of his garment. He just gets in the tree because he's curious and wants to look at him. And what it says is that as Jesus passed by, he stops at the tree and he looks up and he speaks to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to come to your house today. Jesus spoke to him, took the initiative, and even invited himself to his house. Now, that's unusual to invite yourself to somebody's house. Well, not at my house, but <laughs> it's actually kind of usual. But, but uh, usually people don't walk up and say, hey, I'm coming to your house today. But Jesus did that with Zacchaeus. Jesus took the initiative. One of the things that, that is uh, characteristic of true grace is it is very surprising. It's like this is, this is out of the blue. This, I didn't realize, I didn't see this coming. And so this is the idea behind those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. So the first thing is it's free. The only thing it says about Zacchaeus is, Luke 19.6, it says, and he received him. That's what you do with a gift. It comes to you, it's offered to you, it's put in your hands, and you receive it. The other thing about uh, this is that it starts on the inside and it's characterized by working on the inside just as death reigned through one man. Much more will those who receive him. Just like this, and death works on the inside of us. Death is part of our makeup and constitution. The DNA is dying. But much more does the grace of God work. In the same way that death works, His life works in us. It starts on the inside, works its way gradually outward, and ultimately culminates in a resurrected body. Uh, This indicates that there is something going on inside of us even at this moment. That Philippians 2.12 says, uh, It is God who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. I want to give you this verse um, because I used to, uh, I'd, I'd read this in the Gospels and it would always kind of make me feel condemned. It's where Jesus said, uh, take up your cross and follow me. And I always thought, take up the cross means deny yourself. Before you can follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. 
then you can follow him, then you can please him, and then you can do what you ought to do. And then I notice, though, that there's a difference in the epistles of Paul and the Gospels. In the epistles, where the Christian life is unfolded doctrinally, he puts the resurrection before your crucifixion. You do crucify the flesh and you do deny yourself, but before you do that is resurrection. Let me give you this verse. This is Philippians 3.10. I think we've got this on the screen. Now, notice this carefully. Paul says, Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection that I may share in His sufferings and become conformed to His death. In other words, that I may deny myself and be selfless like He is. Well, how do I get there? First, he says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. In other words, the risen life of Christ in me must precede the self-denying, crucifying of my flesh. Now that's what grace does. His life must precede your death. That is your self-denial. His resurrection is the key to your sanctification. For Jesus, the cross precedes the resurrection, but for us, His resurrection must precede our crucifixion. You cannot be conformed to the image of His death that is doing the will of God fully until first you know Him and the power of His resurrection. So don't seek to to start out by saying, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. Just stop. Receive the fullness of His resurrection life and yield fully to it in in every area. Let His resurrection life push out and press out all of the things that are not conformable to His life. For Jesus, the cross precedes the resurrection, but for us, resurrection precedes crucifixion. All right, let me give you a third thing. And that is, it is not only free and it is not only inward, but it is powerful. It is a powerful inward life. Look um, at verse 17 again. Death reigned through that one man, but much more does grace reign. It's not just that uh, it counteracts it or counterbalances it, but much more. It is overwhelmingly more powerful than the effect of Adam's sin. That is, it brings a certain inevitable victory. When Adam sinned, here's what Paul says, when sin came into the world through the one man, Romans 5.12, and death then spread to all, well, much more. Will those who receive abundance of grace win the victory and triumph in Him? It's much more. It's not even close. This means 1 Peter 2.2 Like newborn infants 
who desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you will grow thereby. It means your desires will change. His life in you means that the things you desire will, begin, will be altered. It means that your memories... Most of us have had uh, some bad experiences in the past. We've had uh, some failures and sins, and we kind of like to forget them. They're wounds and pains, and we remember them. And we just soon not to. Uh, look at, uh, uh, put this verse up on the screen. Isaiah 26, 13 and 14. This is a great verse. He says, uh, O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. But your name alone we bring to mind, to remembrance. They, those other lords, they are dead and will not live. They will not rise for you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. All those other lords that ruled us at one time or another. God can heal your memory of past sorrows and failures and wounds. That's what he's saying here. This is an, a, a wonderful verse of Scripture for those of us who have had the wounds of the past. So memory heals. Desires change. And, and let me put it this way. There is actually, I think, a healing of our predispositions. Um, uh, some of us know what it means to be born with a tendency in one direction of another. I'm not going to give you mine or my combinations. <laughs> Praise God. <It's> gonna... <laughs> Pastor, I'm very relieved. Thank you very much. Um, but there, some people are born with a disposition towards stealing and lying. They just can't talk without lying. Some people are born with a disposition toward alcohol. Some people are born with a predisposition toward homosexuality. I'm, I'm not going to debate the genetic issue. I'm just saying that there are some people, and, and it can be exacerbated by abuse, but, there, but the, this is the genetic constitution, the makeup of our bodies. And you add the experiences we've had, the backgrounds are thrown in together. Some people are just... I think they are just genetically uh, uh, inclined toward drug addiction. It's easier for them. Now, and, and what I want you to see here is that all of this is the part, it's part of our broken humanity, the effects of Adam, and much more shall the grace of God cause you to reign in His life. Much more. Do not underestimate the power of the gospel of His grace. Um, there is, and I don't want to cause your eyes to glaze over here, but um, uh, in a baby's development, especially the first year, there's what's called synapsis. These, it's when the nerve endings in the brain begin to connect and pathways in certain behaviors and and. In fact, even basic things like eyesight are formed 
bil- hundreds of billions of nerve endings begin to connect. If you put a patch over a baby's eye when it's born, one eye, so for two or three years, leave it there for two or three years. Well, that's when the synapses, the pathways are joining. Then that eye would be blind for the rest of its life because the nerve endings didn't touch. Now, there are some people whose sinful habits over a long period of years has caused certain nerve endings to connect, a synapsis to take place, genetic predispositions to change and alter and move a certain direction. You can even be born with a vulnerability to that. And here's, here's what I am saying to you is those synaptic endings, those nerve connections, those pathways of sin can be collapsed and can be healed by the power of the life of Jesus in you. Desires can change, memories altered, and the constitution of your body reconstructed by the power of the risen Christ. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Good to have you back, Karen. Finally getting some amens this morning. It's so good to see you. And here's an example of such a thing in John chapter 9, verse 1, when it says that Jesus came across a blind man and he healed him, but notice he was blind from birth. And now he's an adult. There were no synaptic connections in his brain. No nerve endings of sight had come together. Blind from birth. And Jesus healed him in an instant. Now that tells you something. That that Jesus the Lord, when you call him Lord, you are saying something, dear people. When you say, Lord Jesus, heal me and put those right, healthy, synaptic endings together and restore me as I ought to be before you. Sometimes in our past life and in our habits and in our lifestyles, Satan can take such advantage of us, and you realize he's compared to a lion, right? In 1 Peter 5, 8. The lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. So if you have been ravaged by the lion, here's what the Bible says in Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. If your past life or even your present life has caused, has given Satan operation in your your lifestyle so that you have been ravaged by the devil, I want to tell you, Jesus can heal you and he healed all who, who were oppressed by the devil. 
This is why that often you have forgiveness of sins and healing of the body connected together. Psalm 103, verse 3. He forgives all our iniquities and He heals all our diseases. Why? Because sometimes our iniquities has led to our diseases. He heals, He forgives. We don't have a lot of problem with that first part. He heals he forgives all our iniquities. Praise God, praise God. I needed all my iniquities forgiven. But listen, the next phrase says, and He heals all our diseases. Because they're very connected. They're very close with one another. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Some of you have heard of Matt Chandler. He is a um, pastor in um, Dallas, Texas. And he tells about when he first started preaching and he went to a church service. Um, and he, there was a band that was playing. He wanted uh, some folks that he'd been trying to disciple. He wanted them to hear this band. And there was also a young lady he was trying to reach uh, she was a single mom, <clears throat> and so he got them all together, and they were all, all all went to this church service to hear this band. And it was a youth service, and uh, and that he didn't know who the speaker was. So they got there, and they were sitting there. And you may have heard some of you may have heard the story about the rose. And they heard the band. The worship was awesome, and they and after the worship was over, then it, he said that they uh, uh, the preacher got up and he began to talk to the young people about sex. Now, that's always a, a very... Uh, uh, that's always nerve-wracking, not only to, to, to give the sermon, but also to sit under it, because you never know what's coming forth. So he was talking about sexually transmitted diseases and how young people need to be careful. Uh, yeah, amen. And then he uh, pulled out a rose. And he said, I just cut this rose this morning. It's fresh. And he smelled of it and said, it's so fragrant. And then he said, pass this rose around. And he reached down and he gave it to some folks in the front row. And he said, just smell it and feel how good it is. And pass it around so others can do the same. And he went on with his sermon about how young people need to be chased. And amen, I'm for that. And then at the end, the climax of his sermon was, he said, now hand me the rose. And when they give it back to him, the rose was, the petals had fallen off and it had drooped and wilted and it looked bad. And he held the rose up and he said, who would want a dirty rose? Hmm. And Matt Chandler said, I was sitting there with this single mom who was weeping quietly. And he said, everything in me wanted to stand up and say, Jesus wants the dirty rose. That's why he came. My message to you is grace that is free and grace that is inward and grace is powerful and it can restore 
the dirty rose. Because actually, if you get down to it, none of us are that clean. We've all got some petals falling off and a bit droopy. We need a refreshing. And the gospel of the grace of God is powerful and abundant and it can heal the body, cancel the memories, alter the synaptic constitution of your brain. We must not underestimate the power of the gospel to transform our life. And if you don't think you can do it now, wait till you get in the resurrection body and then see what you look like. You're going to spend the first few thousand years just walking around looking at everybody. You're going to say, is that you, Joel? He changes our desires. He takes away our bad memories. He heals our bodies. And this grace is free, begins on the inside. It's abundant and powerful through the risen Christ. And sometimes the church can fall back into its default position of becoming simply a moral police. We are not called to write tickets to sinners who have broken God's law, we are called as an ambulance to pick up the pieces and restore them in the hospital of grace. That is our calling. And thank God for such a gospel as this. Wow, where where are you going to hear the gospel? We must never give up the gospel of the true, powerful, overwhelming grace of God. Amen. Well, last Sunday we spoke to you on the grace that sets us free today, the grace that makes us new. Next Sunday I want to share with you the grace that gives us strength. So I hope you can join us again next Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that your grace is greater than all our sin. And we thank you today that you are a God who receives sinners and changes us, that the roses can bloom again, that grace is a springtime of favor. And we pray for that today. And we praise you today. Go with each one. Grant them your your protection as they go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.